Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 20th, 2022. It is currently 6 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the, the from the Theology Central Studio or Studios. I've messed this all up. I don't even know what I'm going to say. Just forget everything. Let's just call the whole thing off. No, it, it, there's a part of me that honestly, I want to call the whole thing off. So I just want to mess this up so bad that I have to stop because in a way, I don't really want to do what we need to do, but we have to do it, ladies and gentlemen. We we, we, we have to go back to Indiana. I will explain. Let me try this one more time. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 20th, 2022. It is currently 6 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. But in reality, I'm not in Abilene. No, I have landed in Indiana. Well, not I didn't land in any Indiana today because somewhere in the flight we went back in time to, well, this summer, 2022, Hammond, Indiana, to a youth conference that, well, they claim is the most influential youth conference in the entire country, maybe in the entire world. So, well, we are going back to that youth conference because we have been reviewing messages that were preached at that youth conference in a series that we are calling The Church and Youth in 2022. The Church and Youth in 2022... And we're talking about what should, what should the church be teaching youth in 2022? What should they be teaching them? And we've been listening to these messages. And I guess one of the most amazing thing about this youth conference is I still don't really understand exactly what has been, what, what, what have they really given these young people? I, I think if we were to just try to kind of create a chart of going through each message and trying to summarize what the lesson was, I don't know if we really, it would be, may, maybe we could do that. May, maybe if we go back and we listen to each one and go, okay, that was the, that was the main point. That was the main point. That was the main point. But many of them, I don't really know what the main point was. It's so, it's just so odd that this is the most supposedly, according to them, the most influential youth conference and when you've listened to all the teaching, I'm just kind of like, I, what is actually the point? It's been very frustrating, but it's raised the question of what, what should the youth be taught in 2022? I've continuing to ask you, the listener, to send me your list of three things that you think need to be taught in two, church, two young people in the church, right? To the young people in the church in 2022. What what does youth groups need to be teaching? What does pastors need to be teaching the young people in 2022? I will say that this youth conference really, <laughs> I, I don't think anything they've even covered would even show up in my list of the top 800 things that should be taught. Okay, maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but you get the idea. So I've arrived in Indiana. The plane has landed. But it's not today, somewhere this summer, Hammond, Indiana, that's where I'm at. And uh, we're going to go to First Baptist Church, Hammond, Indiana. We're going to go back to this youth conference. I don't know. Um, I believe the conference was August. I believe it was held in August. So maybe it was August. Maybe it was July. I don't remember. I don't. This is a PM service. So this was during the youth conference. This was in the evening time or at least now. Well, hang on. Let me make it very clear. 
The files have not all been accurate. I've got files here that say it's the morning service. Clearly, it was the evening because they mentioned good evening, everyone. And I've got ones that say morning where they're, <laughs> I got ones where I say evening and they're saying good morning. So I don't really know when this message was preached, but we're going to go back and listen to it. It's 28 minutes and four seconds long. I know that should mean this should be a quick review. However, it probably won't be, but I don't, I don't, I'm not going to go beyond an hour. Um, we'll stop wherever I think we need to stop. But are you ready? All right. If you were to make your list of the top three things the church needs to be teaching young people, what would they be? And is this one of them? Now, this comes in loud. Uh, the one thing about them, they record all of their messages as at an extremely high volume. So I've got this cut down all the way down to 47%. It still may be a little loud. If it is, if you're listening to me live, go, whoa, that's too loud. Or no, increase the volume, whatever you need. And I will I will make adjustments while we're live on the air. If I don't hear from you, I'm just going to try to hear it for myself and decide if I need to go louder or quieter. But here we go. He comes in. It almost feels like I hit play just to check the volume. And then because I don't, you know, I don't obviously review things prior to reviewing them live on the air because I like this to be real. Um, and, and organic and not rehearsed. And all I can say is it, it felt like he came in just screaming, like, he, like the, the audio just starts with him yelling is what it seems like. But, but uh, maybe they were trying to get the teenager's attention. I don't know. It just comes in loud. So here we go. I'm going to preach on friends this morning, brother. Joe here started talking about friends and. Okay. Well, see, I'm going to be preaching on friends this morning and, and it's labeled the PM service. Okay. All their labels are all messed up. And, and look, I don't, I don't blame them for that. Look, I don't know who's working in their sound board or their sound booth and who's responsible. I know for me, I do everything, right? I, I, I'm back there when, at church. I, I get the computer set up. I start everything. I label everything. And sometimes I'm just like, and, and I'll get, I'll get messages from someone going, you completely misspelled that or, or you got that. And, and I'm like, oh man, I did. Because usually it's like, I just got like, I got to hurry up. I, yeah, I'm supposed to be starting and I'm still back here typing everything up. So, um, so I don't, I don't blame him for that. But uh, let's back that up. I don't know if you heard that. He's going to be preaching, preaching on friends this morning. Now, very important question. The concept of friends. How significant is that concept in the life of believers? Now, I, 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 I definitely know this is a pretty common thing went to teach young people. And, and this is where, now I know I'm going to get myself in trouble. We're not even starting to get in the review and I'm getting ready to, to bump into some golden calves, I think, because the church sometimes has these concepts that they almost treat like a golden calf. Don't touch it. Don't knock it over. Or you, you know, you're guilty of destroying our idol. Maybe I shouldn't refer to it as a golden calf or an idol, but let's just say the church has these concepts that they grab onto. They preach loud and proud, but sometimes five minutes later, they teach something that contradicts these ideas that they are so loud and proud about. So let me try to explain. Within Christianity, we're constantly told this. When you become a Christian, practically speaking, you become a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. You are a new creature. The old is completely gone. Now, they, they refer to that almost in a practical way, not in your position in Christ, not because of an imputed righteousness, but practically. Well, anyone who takes that to his logical conclusion would mean the sinful nature is completely gone. 
Christians will go on to say, you have been set free from the power of sin. Sin no longer has any power over your life. You can say no to sin and yes to God. You can live godly. Now, of course, the logical implication would be you can be perfect, okay? Then they go on to say, you have the power of God dwelling in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This power is available to you, and you can use this power to overcome sin, overcome temptation, and to live a godly life. Well, once again, that would seem to demonstrate that we can be perfect. We can be without sin. So we supposedly have this power. We've been set free from the bondage and power, uh, the power of sin. We have become a new creature. The old is completely gone. This is constantly sold in Christianity. Then we turn around and we look at the Christian young people and go, no, 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 no. You got to be careful. You got to be careful because bad friends, they're going to destroy you. Bad friends, you got to make sure you only have the right kind of friends. Don't have the wrong kind of friends. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. If they've been set free from the power of sin, they have the power of God inside of them, and they're a new creature, and the old is completely gone. Now, they are in danger of just being around the wrong friend. The wrong friend is going to destroy them. Now, other people can have an impact on your life, but if you believe you have all of this power like you claim, then what can they do? And ultimately... Remove all the bad friends. Remove all the bad friends. You know what you still have? A sinful nature. Look, all all the bad friends you can choose, okay, or all the bad friends you can avoid, the worst friend of all dwells inside of you. It's you. You're the issue. It's not other people. You're the, remove the other people. And guess what? Those same desires, struggles, whatever the, they're still inside of you. But let's see which direction they're going to go. I I just, I've heard this kind of youth message way too many times. You stop hanging out with those people and stop hanging out with those people and stopping. And and of course the parents are like, amen, amen. Don't hang out with them. Don't date them. Stay away from 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 them. And I understand that there, there has to be, I understand that there can be wisdom here. I just find that the wisdom contradicts what we constantly say in the other sermons. You have the power of God. You, you've been set free from the power of sin. You're a new creature. The old is completely gone. Oh, man, but one bad friend, it all comes crashing down. That seems like a lot of weak power. That seems like a that we haven't been quite set as free. That sounds like we still have something inside of us that makes bad friends, well, dangerous to us. Let's see which direction they go. I'm going to preach on friends this morning, brother. Joe here started talking about friends and, you know, how many of you have a friend in this room? You got a friend right here in this room, all right? How many of you have a, uh, I got to be politically correct, right? So how many of you have a big friend? You got a big friend, you know? Uh, Bubba, you got a big friend, all right? How many of you have a a nerdy friend? You got a nerdy friend, all right? Where are they at? Uh, All right. Uh, How many of you got a slow friend? You have a slow friend. Uh, and we will, <clears throat> uh, we'll leave it right there because I don't want to, I don't want to know what kind of bad friends you got. But we all got friends, amen? The Bible has a lot to say about friends. Are you listening to me? Our theme is go boldly. And it doesn't matter what we preach about going boldly to the will of God or going boldly to the mission field or going boldly to where God wants you to be. There's going to be an obstacle there. There's going to be a wall. 
Listen, there's, when I get up to preach as a youth pastor, there's four subjects that if I start, man, walls automatically come up. If we talk about dating, whoop, that wall grows. Because you ain't touching my girl. She's fine. I know we're 12, but that, we know what we're doing. Some of you all met your girl on Monday night, had your first date last night under the stars and fireworks, and, and you thought she's the most beautiful thing. And then you saw her this morning, and then you're like, ah, let me rethink that. But uh, if I preach about dating, boom, the wall goes up. If I preach about social media, oh, no, you, you know, you can't, that, don't mess with my, I'm an Instagrammy. Don't mess with my snap. You don't go there, Brother Ricky, because if I preach that, I get a wall. You know, if I preach on uh, young people and music, oh, that wall goes up. Because you can't touch my music, because my music doesn't affect me. And then if I talk about friends, that wall goes up. So we're going to try to tear that wall. All right. So those are, those are some typical youth group messages right there, right? Music, dating, social media, and friends, right? It's, I'm just curious. How much conversation do you think the church needs to have with young people in regards to dating, social media, music, and friends? I mean, these, these are the big four. Now, uh, earlier on and, and before social media became a big thing, it wasn't social media, but you still had music was, uh, I mean, always a big thing in the church. Music, 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 music. Back then it was, went, uh, if we go back to when I was a teenager, music and MTV. MTV was the devil that was going to destroy us all. And it was, you're finished. Okay. So it was MTV, which I dealt with music, but it was, you know, television. So it was mu- music. Music, movies, dating, right? At we, there was, I didn't hear a lot of messages about friends, but I definitely heard that at, at certain times. So um, um, what, I mean, these are pretty common. Now, the, the issue always, it, it, it seems to me, this is the way it was presented to me, and you can tell me whether you agree or disagree, that, that the way you were taught as a as a, as a teen or as a young person in church is always that the issue, the problems were always outside of you. The problems were external to you. I, I heard very, very, in fact, it, I, I had to go join a Lutheran church before I understood this, just to show you. And I've talked about this a hundred times because it's just, I'm to this day, I'm still blown away by it. But this was what was literally taught to me, okay? In the Baptist church, I was taught, where is it? Can I grab a piece of paper here? Let me grab this piece of paper. All right. I was taught, this is what I was taught in a Baptist church. That, uh, right here, I'm holding a, a piece of paper, completely blank. There's nothing on it. There's no marks. There's no anything. All right? Hear it? And I was taught in the Baptist church, that's how you're born. You're born, you know, pure, clean, everything is good. And then as we get older, we take our lives and we crumple it all up. We crumple it all up. And then Jesus comes. And if we will believe in him, he straightens the paper all back out and he makes it all clean again. That's kind of what I was taught. I mean, I'm not just, I kind of taught, it was literally explained to me that way. When I, try, when I joined a Lutheran church, they were like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. You're born. The paper's all crumpled up. The paper's all crumpled up. You are a sinner. You have a sinful nature. You are depraved. 
But in baptism, when you're young, well, you are regenerated and you're saved. So, so I don't know if that fixed the problem, but the difference is then the Lutheran, I started learning about this idea of original sin and total depravity. Clearly the Baptist church was, I mean, beyond semi-Pelagian, they were full-blown Pelagian, obviously. So I, it would make sense that within a Baptist and, and in many evangelical circles, that the emphasis is always on the external, right? Hey, young people, you're, 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 you're a Christian now. Now, the problem is the music you listen to. Stop listening to the music. Boom, you'll have spiritual victory. Dating, stay away from the wrong girls. Don't go unchaperoned. You'll be great. Now, it doesn't deal with the fact that I don't care if you have a girlfriend. I don't care if you, as long as you're alone somewhere at night by yourself as a teenager, there's a high probability there's some lust and desire going on, whether you've ever had a girlfriend or not, because, well, yeah, we could get into that whole discussion. So, but it's dating, it's it's music, it's movies, it's social media. It's always the external thing that's out to destroy you, and it's rarely placed on no, no, no. The sin is inside of you. We're always running, locking all the doors, closing all the windows, hiding under the bed, and we're going to be safe and we're going to be godly. And then till you realize The monster not only is under the bed with you, the monster is inside of you. Now, are you saying, don't worry about the external? I'm saying that we have to start with the internal because that's where all the problems are. And so much of the sinful desire has nothing to do with what's outside of us. It's inside of us. Right, but it's just interesting. He mentions those four. All right, music, social media, dating, and uh, friends. Th- those are the four. How important do you think those are to to teach young people about? Down this morning. If not, we're going to try to scale that wall. We're going to try to go and tell you, young people, one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life is surround yourself with good friends. Listen, your friends will either help you through the hard parts of life or your friends will make your life hard. I will argue, and I know this is cynical, people make your life hard, period, okay? All right. Okay. I I understand that people can help you, but I'm just saying almost the more people you have, you're around, the more people you interact with, typically it goes bad in some way, shape or form. Right. Okay. Maybe that's cynical. Maybe, maybe just that's been the experience in my life. Remember, I have, I have talked about this before that, you know, some of the worst parts of Christianity is having to interact and deal with other Christians who stab you in the back, gossip, slander, and hurt you and definitely don't help you. And definitely are not there to help restore you, but they're to kick you when you're down. So, but okay. Okay. All right. So the idea is that, Hey, you need friends and you need good ones. And if you have good ones, you're okay. You're okay. Just remember though, I think this is what, see, I, I, I don't know if he's going to start here, but I'm going to start here for every friend you have, for every significant other you have, for every child you have, every pastor you have, every boss, every person you come in contact with, you're coming in contact with people who have a sinful nature and who are sinners. And they come in contact with you who has a sinful nature and is a sinner. 
just, we have to, I think that's just something, I think we need a right biblical perspective and how to view other people. I know that can create paranoia, but I think it should create the fact that they're going to sin just like you're going to sin. Says a lot. Let's, let's go through a couple of verses, man. Get your Bible out. Let's work. Let's go through the scriptures here. Bible talks about Jonathan and David, that they had a friendship, a very unique friendship. The Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 23, that Abraham was the friend of God. Man, what a great uh, compliment to give that you are the friend of God. I like that. Grab your Bibles. Like, like we're going to do some work. And then he throws out Jonathan and David. That a unique friendship. Okay, move on. Now, Abraham and James too, he's mentioned to be the friend of God. Now, I, I'm assuming he's got to have a passage that we're going to grab onto. We're going to do some work on, right? That we're going to really spend some time with. Real, I mean, maybe. Okay, we'll, we'll see. Proverbs 17, 17. The Bible says that a friend loveth at all times and the brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than the brother. Oh man, John 15, 13 gets really good. Matter of fact, you got to go there because you got to mark this verse. It says, greater love have no man than this but that a man lay down his life for his friends, Amen. the Lord Jesus Christ. John 15, 14 says, if you follow me, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, says, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. I want you to go to Luke chapter 12, verse 4, because I really like this one. Jesus called his disciples friends. Amen. He said this, he said, he, he said, and I say unto you, my friends. Boy, this thing about friends, I know it's one of those walls that goes up when young people say, no, 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 you can't mess with my friendship. I mean, we're, we're, we're in it to, you know, we're in it ride or die. We're in it to the end of life. And yet I look around and so many of you, you are being held back from the will of God. You're being held back from the potential that God has in you. You are being. So you're being held back from the will of God. You're being held back from your potential, not because of your sin nature, but because of your bad choice in friends. So bad choice in friends can literally keep you from the will of God. God's will can be thwarted. God's will can be overcome by bad friends. I mean, like it just makes God, God's will. I thought he does. God works all things according to his good will and pleasure, but no, 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 no. God's will can be stopped. Well, wait a minute. I thought that I'm freed from the power of sin. I thought I have the power of the Holy spirit. No, no. All it takes is one wrong friend and boom, that power is not going to work. God's will is not going to happen. One bad friend and it's all said and done. I'm telling you, remove all the bad friends. You, you may realize, wait, I think I was the bad friend because I still have this sinful thought and this sinful desire and this sinful problem and this sin problem and this sin problem. But okay, all right, let, let's see where he's going to go. Held back by what God wants to do with you because of so you're being held back from what God wants to do. God wants to do something. The, the sovereign creator of the universe is on the throne going, oh man, I want to do something with that person, but he got the wrong friends. Come on, man. Get rid of the wrong friends and I can do something. 
Like, does that not paint God as the most weak, pathetic God of all the gods and the history of gods? I mean, like, yeah, oh, I wanted to do something so great, but man, he's got the wrong friends. Sorry. All right. All right. We can't do anything with that one. Let's find someone else. Your friend. By the way, the Christian life is not a hard life. Ever so often we have to take a hard decision, but that's so that our life won't be hard. And, and you think, well, you know, I can't give up my friends. That's too hard. The Christian life is not a hard life. Make sure I understand this. The Christian life is a life where we're called to deny self, die to self, no longer follow self, and seek to live out a morality which we ultimately can never fulfill. Therefore, we have to rely on the imputed righteousness. I think there is a level of hardness and difficulty to the Christian life. But okay, okay. Sometimes I tell my kids, you know, you guys think that living the Christian life is hard. Divorce is hard. Weekend visitations with your kids is hard. Drug addiction is hard. Burying a child is hard. Stop complaining about how hard the Christian life is. Y'all got all them rules. We got to wear them dresses. Aren't you glad you're not a Muslim girl? Talk about the Christian. The Christian life's not hard. It's abundant. It's rich. It's real. The Christian. And I love that. I didn't know the Christian life meant you have to wear those dresses. (laughs) I mean, it's right there in scripture. If you're a Christian lady, you must wear a dress. It, it's, it's right there. It's all over the, the okay, all right, I, I digress. Let's continue. Life, man, I love the fact that he comes and gives us life and gives it more abundance. It's a life of joy, not a regret. Now I'm going to take you to the book of Job. Because in the book of Job, we always hear about the book of Job being a book of trials. And it is. The first two chapters talk about the trial that Job went through. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the book of Job, and I'm going to read quickly, but follow me in Job chapter 1, verse 15, 16. Here Job, of course, the man who lost his family, he lost his cattle, he lost his camel, and here Job then finds himself in a dialogue with his friends. Let's see what happened to Job's, just to kind of recollect. The Bible says in verse 15, And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants. He loses his servants. Look it down to verse 16. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep. And he loses his sheep, loses his servants. Verse 17, he loses his camels. Verse 19, later on, he loses his children. Now, we always know the story of Job as being a story of suffering and trial, and it is. But let me give you something really interesting about the book of Job. Would you sit up and listen? Would you act like adults here as I just give you a little stuff? In the book of Job, listen, chapters 1 and 2 talk about the trial. Chapters 4 through 36 talk about his friends. The majority of the book has to deal, uh, deal with three of his main friends, and then one little know-it-all that comes in at the end. It's, I think it's a book about friendship. I think it's a book about what happens. 
Job is a book on friendship. Now, he said that and someone in the background said, amen, or that's right. Job is a book of friendship. Now, now again, I'm, sometimes I'm just baffled at what young people are giving and given in youth conferences, right? So they're, they're, they're now, they're going to walk away going, oh, Job is a book on friendship. Is Job a book on friendship? And like in any way you look at it, is it a book about friendship? Like it's there to teach you about friendship. I, I challenge you to look at every commentary, Bible handbook, and see how many, and, and I want you to keep track of what most say the book is about and how many say it's about friendship, okay? I would be curious because even if you go through all of the chapters where his friends are speaking, are, is any of it about friendship or is it about how people perceive and understand suffering? I, I, I don't know, like... I'm baffled that he just literally taught these young people that Job is a book about friendship. But let's see how he demonstrates this. When we go through hard times and what kind of friends are there to help us and what kind of friends are there to lead us and guide us and what kind of friends are there to help us through that hard time. We got such a uh, messed up uh, view of of, uh, friendship. Too many of you get your friend advice from little Instagram quotes. Well, I got to be loyal to my friends. Not if they're not right, doing right. You don't got to be loyal. Right or- so you don't need to be loyal to your friends. Friendship stops when they're not doing right. Hey, you're not doing right. That's it. I'm not loyal to you. I'm not your friend. Is that, is that how friendship works? So the minute you don't do right, then they should all abandon you. So, so this is the Christian ethic on friendship. I'm your friend until you do right. And then when you don't, I'm no longer loyal to you. What a great, I love Christianity, man. What, hey, everyone in the world, let, just listen up. Don't become friends with Christians because we're only your friends until you do right. And then we're going to stab you in the back. And I guess, hey, the last thing I want is a Christian friend because sooner or later, I'm not going to do right. That, that's literally what he just basically said. I'm loyal to my friends, not if they're doing right. You don't need to be loyal to your friends. Wait, I, what do you mean? You need to really define what you mean here because that sounds like some messed up garbage. You can be loyal to a friend and not participate in the wrong that they're doing. You can be loyal to a friend and not it, not support or engage in the wrong. You can stand opposed to it and say, well, I'm not going to do that, but I'm still your friend in here for you. And if it all blows up, I'm here to do what I can to pick you back up and to be there for you. Because I don't know if you realize this, Christians don't always do the right thing either. Die. No, let them die. So you'll die with them. Right. It, let them die? Okay, I got to back this up. This is now... Okay. Okay. Let's try to work through this calmly, all right? It's not if they're not right, doing right. You don't got to be loyal. Ride or die. No, let them die. So you'll die with them. Ride or die. No, let them die. Or you will die with them. 
What does that mean, let them die? What does that mean? Is Christian friendship, I'm only your friend as long as you do right. And then if you don't do right, I'm going to let you die. Now, I understand by saying you don't go along with it, but you can still maintain love and support for someone even when they have done wrong. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love should be there to pick the person up. Love should be there to help, there to comfort, there to show grace and mercy. God demonstrates his grace. I mean, think about this. If, if, if God calls us friends, we sin 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Chapters 4 through 36, it's a dialogue, and it's Job, and he's talking with his friends, and it's Eliphaz, and it's Bildad, and it's Zophar, and at the end there, there's a smart little know-it-all, Elihu, and it is a conversation about friends. I want you to look at something. Look at Job chapter 2, verse 5. It's a conversation about friends? No, Job is not a conversation about friends. What's the qualification to preach anymore to, to, young, to, to people? What is the qualification is, you can just say the Bible means anything. Hey, the book of Job is about friends, 4 through 35, 36, whatever he said. It's just, it's a conversation about friendship. It's not a conversation about friendship. Now he's going to go back to Job chapter 2. All right, here we go. I think this is very interesting. In Job chapter 2, verse 5, But put forth thine hand now, and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. Look at verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. And then go to chapter 4, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Timamite answered and said, said, Brother Ricky, what are you trying to show us with all that? Very interesting. Satan spoke first. His family spoke second. His friends spoke third. Let me tell you what's going to keep you out of the will of God. Satan telling you not to do it. Your family telling you not to do it. And your friends telling you not to do it. Our biggest obstacles, most of us in here, we have... Where Satan is saying, you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you can't speak, you can't talk, you don't come from a, from a, a good... Oh man, we, we, okay, there's so many issues. First of all, the first thing that's going to cause you problem is your own sin nature. Does anyone believe that we're sinners anymore? It, 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 has has Pelagian, Pelagianism taken so far over the church, semi-Pelagian and Pelagianism taken the church over so much that we almost now no longer even acknowledge the sinful nature? But let me make it very clear. So the first thing, Satan is going to talk to you. So Satan is now omnipresent? He goes from to every teenager. You're not worthy. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can Is Satan or is it just maybe I don't know the normal everyday emotions of a teenager where you feel uncomfortable, unworthy, uncertain, you lack confidence, you're embarrassed, you may I know I don't know. That those none of those are ever natural feelings of a teenager. No, no, no. They don't exist. It's Satan. Satan is not omnipresent. Satan is not running around to every teenager whispering in their ear, you're not worthy. You can't do it. So already this, 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 
He's completely misrepresented the book of Job. He's completely ignoring the sinful nature. And now he seems to be attributing omnipresence to Satan. Um, your dad's an alcoholic. Your mom's, a, you know, not, not the best mom. You didn't grow up in the, in the best place. You grew up in the ghetto. You, you can't stand up there with a PK. So first Satan speaks, and then the family speaks. Oh, you're going to be poor. Where are you going to live? How are you going to make money? You should really get a degree. You should really prepare for yourself. Interesting. Satan speaks first, and then the family speaks, and then the friends begin to speak. Sadly, most of you will listen to all three. In chapter 38, the Lord speaks. By the way, sometimes God will let you alone in your own mess because you didn't listen. Then he'll pop. How does that got to relate to the book of Job? God left Job in his own mess. It wasn't Job's own mess. Job didn't do anything. So God left him to suffer because he listened. I mean, that's the implication you're taking it from. Does the book of Job actually have words that mean anything? Like he's just ripping these words. Oh my. (laughs) I'm trying to be very positive here. Okay. I'm trying. I'm trying. Okay. Okay, you can't take from the book of Job that God leaves you in your own mess because you don't listen to him when God's not speaking to Job and Job did not create the mess. It's not his own mess. Up in verse in chapter 38 and he'll say, now it's my time to answer. Let's talk about this thing about friends. Job said, To his friends, he said, I want you to go to Job 42, verse 10. Job suffered. He had all these friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, that came, and they tried to give Job some advice, but the truth is a lot of it was just their own advice. The Lord smacks them later on. Look at Job 42, 10. What a Someone just made a good point. Yeah, in a roundabout way, uh, he did imply that family speaking about making wise decisions for their future is keeping them from the will of God. Hey, what are you going to do? How are you going to pay your bills? No, hey, hey, they're keeping you from the will of God. This is the same mindset that, I, that I've learned, that I heard when I was in an independent fundamental Baptist church in Papillion, Nebraska, where the men in the church all were getting out of the military, getting rid of their jobs, their careers, their health care, all of their benefits, because they were going to be pastors. They were going to be missionaries. And the next thing you know, they've lost all of that income. They've lost their job. And now they're, they're, they're going to be a, they're going to be a pastor. They're going to, they're going to join the Bible Institute. Now you could, you could have been in the military and still went to the Bible Institute, but now they're going to get out. And then now they work two jobs, three jobs, four jobs, five jobs, maybe not five, but two or three jobs to support their families so they could go to the Bible Institute. They weren't pastors yet. They were just going to the Bible Institute. I was in the military going to the same Bible institute they were and at least i had a future planned 
It's just like, but basically he just implied that, hey, when someone's like, hey, what are you going to do for money? Hey, maybe you should get a degree. Nope, nope, nope. Don't listen to that. No, 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 no. God's will. God's will. God's will. (laughs) So I guess now I don't, I don't even know how to process all of this. He is, what he's done to the book of Job is a travesty. Mm, Okay. We got to try to, we got to try to finish this. We got to try to finish this. I don't want to go past an hour. I'm going to try. All right, here we go. Powerful, powerful verse. You say, Brother Ricky, how did Job overcome his trial? How did he overcome that time of anguish and depression and uncertainty? This is how the Lord delivered him. Would we? Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. Okay. How did he overcome it? Didn't he just endure it? I mean, was, I guess you could say he overcome it because he didn't sin. Uh, but, but, but this is how God delivered him. God is the one who set it all up. God is the one who brought it about. Are, are you making, I am, I don't under, do you not even understand the book of Job? But okay. Okay. This is how God delivered him. All right. Let, let's wait. How did God deliver him? Oh, let's read it all together. Job 42 verse 10. The Bible says this. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when? When he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had. I title this message, The Captivity of Your Friends. Listen to me. Your friends will hold you captive, or you will help deliver them from their captivity. We need to have national breakup with friend day. I don't believe in divorce, but a lot of you young people are being held back by a big weight called friend. You know, you're teenagers. I work with teenagers. I act like a teenager. I'm stupid sometimes. I go and I'm like, you can't do that. You're in your 50s. I'm like, watch me. And uh, Okay, so he wants to now tell these young people to go break up with their friends. Hey, end your friendship with these people. Don't show any love, compassion, mercy. Just end your friendship. And then let me make sure, 42.10, we would have to really do some work on this. But Job 42.10 says, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and doubled his previous possessions. So I... The, the, the way the King James has the captivity thing there is interesting, but it just seems that after he had prayed, then God restores these things. Okay, but when he restores these things, remember, he doesn't get his actual first kids back. So it's still a horrible story, but okay. How will you help deliver? How will you help deliver them during national breakup with your friends day? I, I, I. Hey, you break up, I guess if you break up with your friend, I guess what he's implying by reading Job 42.10, when you break up with your friends, then God's good, then God's will can be done. But Job is not breaking up with his friends here. He's praying with it, praying for his friends. So how did praying for your friends become national break up with your friends day? Like, I don't even know how you're deriving that idea from the text. When it says he delivered him from his captivity, you're saying that, are you saying that the King James is implying that when he prayed for his friends, God delivered him from his friends? Like, I don't even understand. I am, man, I am so, this has gone, these sermons from this youth conference just get weirder and weirder and weirder. Like, I don't even know what is happening in the American church anymore. <laughs> you know, I, I, I work with teens and... One little phrase you all like to use is the word fake. 
you don't like fake friends. Somebody does you wrong, you don't talk to them. Somebody doesn't give you a little heart on your picture, you're like, oh, I heart their pictures. By the way, some of you kids, you think you look so good on Instagram. Girl, get rid of the filter, all right? <laughs> Amen. Dude, how about you back off? Okay. Girls, as teenagers, many of them struggle with acceptance of their looks, always feeling like they're unworthy. How about stop calling into question, oh, girl, you don't, you think you look good on Instagram. Get rid of the filter. How about you back off? How about you just back off, okay? Instead of being a condescending jerk to teenage girls. Sometimes I think it would be better that teenagers never went to church. Yeah, I just said it. Sometimes I think it would be better for everyone's Christian life to just never go to church. Sometimes I think church is the greatest enemy that's ever existed to Christianity. Yeah, uh, someone just said, girl, get rid of the filter. How rude for a grown man to say about a bunch of teenage girls. I, I, you know, I am physically mad right now, and I know I shouldn't be, but I'm telling you, I think church sometimes is the worst thing that could happen to a Christian. I think sometimes the best thing for Christians to do is stay as far away from the church as humanly possible. And I know, and look, that's, that may be my emotions, but I mean, this kind of stuff is just insane. All right, well, we only have a few minutes left. Let's try to finish this. Let's be real. You will become captive to your friends or you will help your friends through the captivity. So he's borrowing, he's taking one word from Job about captive, captivity, and he's turning that you're a captive or a captivity to your friends. He, I, that, that has nothing to do with the Job, what Job is about. Like this is, this is abuse. This is, this is, this is utter spiritual abuse and corruption of the word of God. That's what this is, man. And then the, the little derogatory, you're not going to say anything about the teenage boys who take pictures? Because you're right, only girls post selfies. You know, guys never post selfies on the internet. No, okay, okay. I want to share with you six friends that you ought to have in your life. In World War I, I had the fighter pilots and there wasn't the navigation systems or the systems that we have today and so the pilots as they flew in formation they would radio each other and they would say who's got your six who's got your six fellas can you come help me please guys are going to help me so they didn't have the radar the sonar all that sophisticated equipment but the fighter pilots as they flew they came up and coined the phrase who's got your six Nowadays, the fighter jets are super sophisticated and there's really. Someone just said you cannot help your friends through the captivity by breaking up and letting them die. Why does he keep implying they are to help their friends, but they should also abandon them? I'm confused. I'm so confused, too. Really, what he's saying is help yourself. 
What I, I, I guess right now there's so much going wrong in this sermon that I'm having a hard time trying to keep track of it all. I'm still figuring out how in the world he's turned the book of Job into a book about friendship, and then he takes one word, captivity, doesn't even try to figure out exactly what it means, and then says that you are in captivity to friends, and you got to free yourself from captivity to friends by abandoning them and breaking up with them so somehow you can help them help yourself. But then he says, ride or die. No, let them die. I, I don't like, I am just this, this would require a chart to even keep up with how bad this has become. And this is what, I mean, man, mm, 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 I am having a hard time here. No need for somebody to kind of watch the tail wing there of your, of your plane. The reason it was called six is because if you were up in the cockpit straight ahead was 12 o'clock. Yeah, the left wing would have been nine, your right wing would have been three o'clock, and then the tail wing would have been six o'clock. And so obviously you had view and sight of everything in front of you, but you could not see that back tail wing. So they coined the phrase, who's got your six? Later the military developed that, and it no longer was about fighter pilots, it was more about who are your six battle buddies? Who are going to be the guys that are going to go with you through life and are going to, you know, be the six that are with you all the time? Let me say this, first of all. The Lord Jesus Christ ought to be number one in that. He's the best friend. Hey, you know what? Yeah, Jesus Christ is the best friend because he doesn't abandon his friends when they mess up. He doesn't break up with their friends when they mess up. He's there to forgive and to love and to restore and to show grace and to show mercy. You're right. He is the best friend. Oh, wait, but we don't act like him because, hey, we're only friends with you until there's a certain point and then we let you die. Well, if, if that's the way Jesus is, then we're all dead. He doesn't change you to love you he loves you to change you he's the best friend i love that old negro spiritual there's not a friend like the lowly jesus no not one no not one none else can heal all our souls diseases he's the best friend let's start off there i'm gonna give an illustration here but before i do let's start off there that the Lord Jesus Christ become the best friend. Let me remind you, young people, a lot of you are here because you were brought together into friendship because of our faith. Our going to church, going to youth group, riding a bus. That is what united us, and that's what has, has, has made us friends. And listen, as soon as you depart your faith, you will change your friends. You will change your friends. I'll give you six friends that you ought to have in your life. Fellas, would you come over here, please? These are some of our young men, but I want you to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Would you guys get three across and three across here? I'm sorry, just, just across, just across. So Joshua, Joshua got saved about a month ago, riding our buses here. By the way, Joshua got led to the Lord by Adrian. A teenager bringing a teenager to church. 
Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? I'm going to show you six friends you ought to have in your life. Number one. Is he quoting 2 Corinthians 6.14 as a prohibition against unsaved friends? It's a yoked relationship. A yoke. Like marriage. Like it's something binding. Are you saying now you can't even be friends with someone who's not saved? You can't be friends with a Christian who's struggling with sin? Right there, you ought to have a friend that loves your God. You ought a friend that, lo- that loves your God. You ought a friend, have a friend that's saved. Now, I'm not saying that all your friends are going to be saved, but brother, they ought to know that if they're coming. Okay, well then, then I don't know why he just quoted 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Why did he just quote 2 Corinthians? I have no idea what is going on anymore. He just quoted 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Now he's saying, no, 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 all your friends are going to be saved. I am so confused in what's going on. I don't know, does this man even understand what we're supposed to do with the Bible and preaching? I am so, like, I. It's been, uh, it's been forever since I've been so frustrated with reviewing a sermon. Coming around you, they're going to get the gospel. If you're coming around you, we're going to talk about Jesus. Or as my kids say it, Jesus, all right? right if you're going to come and you're going to be my friend, I'm not against going to the ball uh, court and playing ball. I'm not against playing with neighbors. I am telling you that your friends ought to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of us, the reason we fail is because we're dabbling with unsafe friends. Hey, by the way, be careful about those unsafe friends and that little job that you got. Because that's where it starts. A lot of it starts in that little job where the guy uh, goes by the kitchen and kind of rubs himself against you, and then the girl does the same, and then they start asking, hey, let's go out, let's do this. Your friends ought to be saved. What job? (laughs) Where are they working? Okay, you're working, and the guy is rubbing himself against you, and the girl does the same. Where? What? What job are the teenagers in your church working at? Like, where is this happening at? Like, right? Like, you're just at work and like, the guy just rubs himself against you. Hey, baby. Like, what? What? what is going on? Like, maybe, maybe you need to contact these places of employment about sexual harassment laws. You need to do an inventory. And if the majority of your friends are saved, aren't saved, then you need to look at you and say, am I saved? It ought to be light with light, not light with darkness. It's black or white, not gray. Your first friend you ought to have is a friend that is saved, that is that knows the Lord Jesus Christ. That it's for sure. I mean, he is not in the world. He is somebody that loves God. A friend, second one. Man, this is a big one. And this one shocks me as a youth pastor because of social media. You ought to have a friend that your parents know. A lot of you have a lot of DMs. It gets really quiet when we talk about that. A lot of you got people coming into Messenger and DMs and Snapchats, and a lot of you are hiding little things, and there are friends that your parents are not aware of. 
how girls get lured. That's how young men, that's how you get lured. Man, Brother Joe said it really well when he preached on Tuesday night about all the algorithms and how they get you and how they send you the reels. And if you like physical fitness or if you like style or if you like shoes, man, they algorithm those reels and they algorithm all those uh, stories so that uh, it's to your liking. Do your parents know your friends? Do they know who they are? Man, Brother Hubal, you and I, sometimes we work a lot uh, closer just because of our school. And sometimes I'm like, Mom, you don't know? (laughs) Mom, you don't know? Brother Ricky, what do you think of this person? Man, I got to be positive. I got to be Mr. Preacher. I got to, you know, I got to make sure I'm not negative and I would just simply say something. And it's all the internet fault because before the internet, no one ever had friends that their parents weren't aware of. Never, <laughs> never, never happened. Never before, before the internet, you never had friends that you, you knew and you were close to that you, your parents, I mean, give, okay. All right. Whatever. All right. Whatever. Like, you need to be careful. You need to be careful. Number one is a friend that's saved. Number two is a friend that your parents know. Number three, young people, is a friend that's headed in the right direction that you are. Why in the world do you frustrate your life? Let me say that again. Why in the world do you frustrate your life having to make the same decision week after week? And good point. Someone just said internet safety is a different beast. What a strange place to put that. I agree. Yeah, I mean, internet safety is important, but I'm just saying that even before the internet, teenagers had friends and people they were close to, or people they knew, and you didn't come home and say, okay, I know this person, I know this person, and I'm going to, and I like, and you, you rarely did that. Now, people that were more closer friends maybe come over to your house, maybe, depending on, on maybe a lot of times you went to their house. I, uh, but I understand internet safety is something to discuss with with young people and how to be safe and how to protect themselves. Yeah, that, that's something to be discussed. Church is a non-negotiable. That means we don't think about it on Saturday night. We prepare on Saturday night. And by the way, church is a life decision. It's something you say I'm going to be in. I'm going to be there. And if your friends are not headed in the same direction, you know what? Somebody has to make a move. If your friends don't go to church all the time, are you telling me you got to end the friendship? Your friends headed in the same direction. Are your friends, do they like what you like? Do they like preaching? Do they like good music? Do they like good singing? Or are your friends the ones that are always the, eh, it's okay, but. So many of you have butt friends. But, 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 but. A friend that's headed in the same direction. Hey, by the way, if you're not headed in the same direction, eventually someone is going to change. And I'm going to tell you this right now. It'll probably be the one that started out right. Number four, I like this one. Joe Brown's father preaches a sermon. Amnon had a friend. You need to look that up. That's a classic. Talks about Amnon and Jonadab. Number four, you need to have a friend that brings value into your life, doesn't cheapen your life. 
You need to have a friend that says, hey, uh, you're not doing right. You need to get right with the Lord. You need to. This sounds like that you just need a friend that makes you better, makes your life better. That, that, that's what friendship is all about, what benefits you. And as soon as it no longer benefits you, boom, you cast them to the side. I have a friend that says, hey, you've not been going so winning. I use a word in my youth group. I tell my kids, provoke each other. I don't mean like fight. They like to fight anyhow. I'm talking that word provoke means to, to motivate or to challenge or to question. Some of you need to provoke each other in your youth group to do right. You going soul winning? No. Why? I don't have a right. I'm picking you up. You going on, on youth activity? No. Why? I don't got no money. Well, come on. Let's go steal something. <laughs> you going to camp? No. Why? Oh, I can't afford it. Well, let's go. Let's do something. Man, you got to bring people in your life that, that, that bring value into your life and that cheapen, and not, don't cheapen your life. And you're a better man because of it. You're a better young lady because of it. Yeah. You know, when Brother Abdel and I talk about messages and sermons, he brings value into my life. He helps me. When Brother Hubal and I talk about ministry, brings value. If this sermon is the result of your friends, dude, you need some new friends. Value into my life. He helps me. And a lot of you, listen, listen. You have cheap friends. You got, listen, you have Dollar General fan, uh, uh, friends. You have Dollar Tree friends. You have Family Dollar friends. Dude, he's just insulting people left and right. You got friends who are dollar general. You got friends who are basically worthless. You got friends who are basically useless. No, well, well, oh, but we as Christians, we believe in the sanctity of life. And we believe every person is, is born in the image of God. But, all right, but they're pieces of garbage and you need to get rid of them because they're, they're dollar free, dollar tree, cheap garbage. Just get rid of them. Break up with them. But you want to live a Gucci lifestyle. Your friends are making you cheap. Number five. Said so there's a friend that will hurt you with, uh, a friend that won't cheapen your life, brings value to your life. Number five, a friend that will hurt you with truth before he allows you to hurt yourself with sin. This is Uriel. I didn't realize you were going to be this one, but it's a perfect example. Uriel really struggled with his life last year. Told our kids in our youth group that he was an agnostic atheist. Stop coming to activities, stop going sowing, and stop doing everything. Listen, and a group of friends got around him and prayed. And said, come on, you, you listen, we're not going to let you go into sin. He went on a missions trip with me last November, and the Lord called him to be a missionary. Because something I did know, because the Lord worked through some friends. Boy, you need some friends that are going to hurt you with the truth before you hurt yourself with sin. Man, if you had a friend, he had, he had something on his face, he had a booger up his nose, he, you know, he, he looked like, uh, like uh, you know, he stepped out of a thrift store, and, and you're like, well, you need help, you know, your fashion style is just off the charts, you would help. But you know that they're dabbling and dealing in sin, and you're okay with it. You know what they call that in the law? 
You're an accomplice. You're an accomplice. I hope I'm not too hard. I could get, I have a soft voice. And then the last one is a friend that does not keep secrets. He keeps you right. I'm going to tell you a story. It's probably the most emotional story I ever tell. I hate telling it. A typical youth conference. Got to go with the emotional, see if we can get some people crying here at the end. I'm not saying that the story's not real. I just, I've just been in these situations where I'm told where to tell the sad story. Many years ago, a friend came to me, and he told me a secret. He'd done something really awful. It was immoral, something very, very wicked and immoral. And even speaking to you today, I have the same angst and anxiety, and I have the same feeling that I had afterwards. And this is what I told my friend, Brother Abdel. I said, hey, ask God to forgive you, and don't tell anybody about it. Until, Brother Joel, that young man got married, and his wife found out. And until they got divorced and she looked at me and she said, you're a hypocrite, you're a fake. You knew my husband was involved in this and you never said anything. Broke my heart. I kept a secret that killed the marriage. I was in Walmart well, uh, there during COVID of all times. I walked in there with my wife, and that lady was there. And she has an 18-year-old son. And she saw me, and by the grace of God, she said, Brother Ricky, I want to apologize. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I need to apologize. She said, by the way, this is my son, 18-year-old boy. And we hugged him, and God was able to make that right. By the way, that young man, he's on marriage number four. Fleeing police from state to state because I kept a secret. A lot of you are keeping a secret. You need to come leave it at this altar here in a minute. A lot of you are keeping secrets. You need to go to your youth pastor and say, I'm not going to hold it no more. Why? Because listen, I don't want... Oh my goodness gracious. The implications right here. Young people trying to process this. Some friend told them something and they're going to start dropping the information here and there. Like what in the world is going on? You not uh, providing any context, any direction. You're like, hey, if a friend told you something, you got to go tell what? Oh, man, 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 man. I want to keep a secret. I want to keep you right. Why do I want to keep you right? Fellas, would you get three and three? This is why. Come over here, Samuel. This is Samuel. He's one of my newer boys, little guy. This is what they mean by who's got your six. Did you get him there? See, back in the day in World War I, it was all about a fighter pilot and planes, but now it means about who are your six pallbearers. Who are the guys that are like-minded? Who are the guys that agree with you? Who are the guys that are like you? Who are the guys that love what you love? Would you take them that way, guys? Hey, 
teenagers. Who's got your six? Amen. Who are the six friends in your life? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. Hey, teenagers, whose six do you have? Because he just turned this into the most self-centered presentation I've ever heard. Who has your six, but not about whose six you have? And I don't know what to say to wrap all of that up. I'm just, I'm just going to leave it there and let people, I, I, whatever feedback we get, I may come back and just address the individual questions or, or struggles or, or agreements or disagreements. I'm just going to leave it there. I just, I'm going to just bring this to an abrupt end because I am baffled. First of all, what he did to the book of Job is literally criminal. What he did to the book of Job, I don't even know why he quoted the second Corinthians passage because he didn't do anything with that and he actually contradicted what it said in the first place. I have no idea what he did to the book of Job. That was criminal. That was ungodly. And here's what I know. That's what young people are getting. They're getting, I don't even know what that, I don't even know what to classify that. Well, as, I don't know, but I guarantee you this. It was the, it was an utter destruction of the book of Job in any meaningful way. All right, I'll stop there. You can email me your thoughts about what we just heard from a youth conference in Indiana in August or July, June, I don't know, somewhere in 2022, uh, what they call the most influential youth conference in the country. You can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. God bless.